1: Is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to the Tonight Show. So there's another showdown on the cards as Enfit advises is either household visits or hospitality, but not both, and takeaway only for restaurants and pubs this Christmas. But will the government reject its advice once again? On our first panel, Finnegales Neil Richmond and Sinn Fein's Martin Kenny. And we may be opening up, but the North is locking down again including closing non-essential retail from tomorrow. So what about the risk of infection from cross-border shoppers? And don't be duped by online scams this Black Friday. The head of the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau joins us. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. Well, we're joined first by political correspondent with Virgin Media News, Gavin Riley. Gavin, the government has been, I suppose, softening us up with lots of hints in recent days as to what changes it wants in Level 5 restrictions. But predictably enough, NFET is not on the same page. What are the big differences between them? It's almost
2: interesting that you call them hints because really the impression you get is that the government had already made its mind up what it was going to propose and it didn't really matter how NEFET stood on this. And actually, this is a fine point which wasn't really observed about a month ago. When NEFET introduced Level 5, NEFET said, what we want is for the OR number to be below 0.5 and there's only be 100 cases per day. The government never accepted that definition. The government said once the number in hospitals is going down and once the uh, the daily numbers are generally falling and OR is below 1, then we're perfectly happy, and that's exactly what's happening. So what Nefford is suggesting, uh, as you've outlined in the introduction, is that it can either be a case of you allow people to socialise through hospitality or you allow people to socialise in their own homes, but they believe the situation is too volatile and too delicate to allow people to do both. They reckon it has to be an either-or. For that reason, they don't believe that there should be any kind of hospitality settings permitted at all. You should only have takeaway restaurants, takeaway pubs, and that if people are, are socialising, they should do it at home, which is, of course, where you would expect most people to be at Christmas. The government fundamentally disagreeing. We're likely to see hospitality coming back in some shape or form in a couple of weeks' time. Still to be decided as of this evening whether that will entail entirely outdoor dining the way that it did before lockdown or whether there will be some scope for indoor. But on top of that, the government also proposing that around the festive period you'll be allowed to have visitors from three other households into your home subject to a maximum of six visitors.
1: OK, well, we will get to our guests here on the panel a little bit about their views in relation uh, to all of this. But is there a feeling that the government didn't expect, though, that there would be 335 new cases of this illness the day before they'd be making their announcement? It probably
2: didn't hope that it would be quite so large because it had seen a couple of successes figures before there was this recent rise again where you're looking at maybe somewhere in the 200s per day, so definitely it's not where the government would want it to be, but again, the government's main metrics were numbers in hospitals falling, and they have come down quite dramatically again in the last couple of days, and the OR numbers staying below one, so as far as that's concerned the government is happy, and as far as they're concerned then therefore it doesn't necessarily really matter exactly how many cases there are though of course that does raise the issue that if the more socialising you allow, then the more risk there is of the virus taking off again and this is why in particular it's interesting that the government is talking about allowing two weeks of household visits or some, something around two weeks of household visits because the more that you do that then of course the more opportunities there are for people to meet each other and then for the virus to take off and there isn't really or no one has ever found this kind of Goldilocks level where you have a certain amount of restrictions and a certain amount of liberties and you're able to balance the amount of the virus it always goes one way or the
1: other but then what about travel travel within the 26 counties and travel over the border?
2: Well certainly travel over the border is one thing about which there's been a lot said in the last 24 hours. What Leo Varadkar told the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party last night is that there may be travel advice against crossing uh, the border when it comes to the festive period itself. That doesn't apply for the next three weeks at least because even after Level 3 when we come back into that next week you'll still be discouraged from leaving your county anyway so the idea of crossing the border wouldn't apply in that instance. Leo Varadkar did say today there of course would not be a travel ban but the idea of an advisory is still being left open and people are talking about ruling out bans but advisories not so much as regards the timing of when all of this will kick in that is the one thing we don't know and it's one thing that we're not likely to hear tomorrow we know that there's going to be uh, news about retail tomorrow we know hospitality will be sorted out one way or another tomorrow the one thing so that what we've... about
1: sporting activities such as golf for example
2: Ugh. Sure, a lot of people who went to Clifton would would like to know what's going on there. That all looks like it's going to be coming back next week, but spectators are still going to be off the radar. So even though you'll have a certain amount of people allowed to go about their lives, there'll be nobody at the All Ireland semi-finals and finals uh, around the festive visiting period. That's a very interesting one because Leo Varadkar did say today on the Doll record that there isn't going to be any guidance on that likely tomorrow. That he says even though it's now four weeks to Christmas, it's just too early to know exactly what the epidemiological situation is like. You might only have advice potentially in two weeks, ten days, one week before Christmas, as regards when people will be allowed to travel across. We're
1: going to be getting back to that issue in a few moments, but briefly, I do want to ask you about something else that very much involves Leo Varadkar today, Mm. because although Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, was taking questions about the circumstances of the appointment of Seamus Wolfe to the Supreme Court, certainly his role in advising her became very much, wasn't it a topic of discussion? Yeah, very much so and he was again brought into the whole conversation several times.
2: We had Helen McEntee in the doll for two hours this afternoon, which is about the same length of time that Leo Veradker spent before TDs around a fortnight ago when he was answering questions over the leak to the NAGP. One of Helen McEntee's consistent lines was that she had had an informal conversation with the now tarnished a previous Taoiseach just after they'd taken over where he suggested, oh, Seamus Wolfe came through that job process and he would make a good judge. Helen McEntee says she took it on board she didn't just take Leo Varadkar's instruction but nonetheless as it happens a suggestion that Leo Varadkar made also happens to be the final decision and that's where the story is now going. Helen McAtee did come in, she did give her statement, she did answer all the questions that people have. The problem is that the answers aren't really what the opposition was wanting to hear.
1: Thank you very much Gavin. Well we're joined now by Fine Neil Richmond and also by Sinn Féin's Martin Kenny. So Neil has the government had enough of nervous nephew telling it what to do?
3: I think the government throughout this process has said Nefit's there to provide good public health advice and then the government reacts depending on what needs to be done. We're reacts? Extreme...
1: Haven't you preempted it? Hasn't this government effectively spent the last week softening us all up for what is going to happen and almost forcing NPHET into this position of being seen today in offering its advice as being in opposition?
3: No, Enfit will always give their advice. And throughout this period, the government has listened to their advice and made the decision, depending on what's best overall. Enfit's there to advise on public health. That's its job. The government is digesting that advice, looking at all the indicators. I have to remind that Ireland now has the lowest seven-day rolling rate of infection for anyone across the EU. We've even come down below Finland. And government will make a decision, I presume, tonight, discuss it further tomorrow, and then announce it to give people time. But Enfit is saying, saying you
1: do one thing or the other. You either... Allow people to have hospitality in their homes or you allow the pubs and restaurants to open, but you can't have both.
3: Well, that's their opinion and the government will take that opinion and advice and make what they believe is the best decision for the whole of the country, bearing in mind all factors. Remember, this remember
1: early October, the last time we had a situation like this, and Enfit made recommendations. The government not only rejected the recommendations, but your party leader, Rathánais Dalia Varadkar, eviscerated them in their absence on national television, and two weeks later, you had to go back and do exactly what Enfield had wanted two weeks earlier.
3: I also remember sitting in the studio countless times with you through the summer months, where I was told on one hand that we're doing everything that Enfield says and we shouldn't be, on other hands that we're falling into the hands of the lobbyists. Ultimately, the government makes a very difficult decision here, balancing all advice and factors into account, bearing in mind the very tough six weeks we've been through, the massive sacrifices made by everyone, and let's see what we can get through, because we can't simply stay in perpetual stage five.
1: Martin, what side is Sinn Féin on? The government side or Enfield no, side? I don't
4: think there's I don't think there's sides to be taken here. We're on the side of defeating the virus. I think everybody's on that side, in fairness, and that's where we need to be. I think um, the advice of Nefit and, and the best medical advice needs to be taken on board, and we need to do whatever we can and whatever is possible for to try and defeat the virus and to make well, people safe means, and keep people that safe. That means
1: you are disagreeing with the government that uh, you well, want either hospitality well, or you want the pubs and restaurants to be open. What is it?
4: Well, what we're saying is that we need to see what DEFET's advice is. We haven't seen that yet. We've had rumours and we've had leaks. We haven't seen what the advice is and we haven't seen where we're going yet And we have the announcement tomorrow from from the government. But we do recognise... That the hospitality sector has been under huge pressure. We know Christmas is coming. People like to socialise. We know that. And we have to see can, is there is there an option there where we can do these things safely? Perhaps there's not. I know in some parts of the country we have very, very low numbers. Certainly where I'm from, we have very, very low numbers. And in many areas we have. Other areas but have, we have, have greater difficulty.
1: Exactly. Cases that's today. the problem, that It's way very high. higher than have been expected. Yeah. So is it safe to reopen pubs and restaurants at a time when we have those numbers?
4: I don't think it is at the moment. And that's. But that seems to be what Neffert is advising. I but don't you are coming it, down. I, and d- and d- I don't think. I don't. Th- well, no. I, I think. I think. I think it's 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 rolling. It's moving. You know. It's 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 today. It's here in a week's time it could be slightly different hopefully by Christmas it'll be even better that's what we need to see happen you know at the end of the day what we want to do is we want to have a way that we can live with this virus that we can get on that we can continue to live as lives as normally as possible that people can socialise and have a social life we want to see that happen we also have people who want to visit their elderly relatives in nursing homes we also have people who want to go to sports events we have all of those things that we want to see happen and of course we want to see our shops and our restaurants and, and, and some kind of commerce happen particularly coming up on Christmas which is their busy time of year but to do that We have to do it safely and we also have to observe the advice the medical advice that's given, you give the example earlier, uh, Matt, that, you know, there was advice given to government to go to level five, government didn't take and two weeks later they ended up doing that. So, you know, that's in the back of everybody's mind too. And even those who are in business and who are dependent on making a living out there in the commercial world recognise that they have to keep their community safe as well. They too have elderly relatives, they too have elderly parents that they have to make sure doesn't get this virus. So it's in everyone's interest that we do the right thing and that we all work together to do that. We disagree with government on many things. But when it comes to keeping people safe, I hope we can all agree to work together but to do Neil that. Neil
1: Richmond, we had Mike Ryan of the World Health Organisation saying today that household transmission is a major factor in the spread of the disease, particularly worried about what might happen around Christmas time when households gather. And here we are, we were hearing from Gavin, you're thinking of allowing it for two weeks to go on and up to four families per household. Surely is not a recipe for disaster. Well, not necessarily,
3: because as we've learned from, we're in a very different place than we were in March and April. And I think you've you've focused on today's case numbers. And there's been a, a very fulsome debate that it shouldn't solely just be about one day's case numbers. And people live in dread sometimes of that 5.45 push notification. It's also about the rolling day seven average, as Martin said. It's also the fact that there's actually one less person in ICU now, still only around the 30 mark. There's less people in hospital. The transmission is moving along. Of course, if people are going to mix in houses, uh, let's be frank, at Christmas time, people will want to visit. But we have to make sure that if we are going to allow that, that we do it with very strict guidelines. And also there is enforcement. And we saw the new fines that were brought in for people who are going beyond that. Popping in to drop over a Christmas present is very different than having a house party for
1: 60 people. Do you think net Enfield looking at the right things? Because they told us that if we went into level five, we would have numbers down to about 50 to 100 new cases a day. We're at 3.35, which suggests they got that wrong and now they want to extend the restrictions. But are they also perhaps looking at the wrong thing, not looking at the numbers in hospital and in ICUs by comparison with six months ago and focusing on the overall figures which don't necessarily need to be the case?
3: Well, this is where it comes in. This is the government's role. This is the minister's role. MFIT give very clear, very important public health advice. That's their job and they do an excellent job. Government has the far more difficult thing. Is it always
1: an excellent job? When when you just saw those figures I just quoted to you, are way ahead of what they said would be the case if we had the six-week lockdown? I
3: think the work that Enfield have done over the last few months, the likes of the Chief Medical Officer, the Acting Chief Medical Officer, the Deputy Chief Medical Officers, and all those people, has been a testament to their professionalism. And I don't think anyone ever questions that. You might not like their advice, but you don't question their bona fides and their work. It is now the government's job to distill that, to take in the whole balance, as you mentioned, moving over the factors and look at what can be achieved cognizant of what we've gone through for the last few weeks.
4: Martin? Yeah, I think one of the things that people are missing here is compared to the last time around, you know, the age profile of the people that are carrying the infection is much, much lower and therefore there's much fewer people ending up in hospital. And also I think the medication that's available and the treatment that's available for people when they do go into hospital has improved dramatically because the medical profession have realised, not just from the experience in Ireland but internationally as well, as to how to deal with this virus. So, you know, It has improved as you would expect it to improve under those circumstances. I've just been
1: handed a piece. Independent.ie is reporting in the last few moments that the Cabinet subcommittee has decided to allow gastropubs and restaurants to open for December. So will you accept that decision? Uh, look,
4: I mean, if that's what they've decided, um, we can only hope that it's done in, in in a very restricted fashion and that people will be very, very careful because there's also a level of personal responsibility on whoever goes out into those establishments as well to ensure that, you know, they keep themselves and others around them very safe. So a lot of this is down, you know, to, to the individual and to individuals okay. taking responsibility as well as government well, bringing in the, the right guidelines. What
1: responsibility of travel? You live about 10 miles from that's the border. Okay. What do you make of... We're going to the north in a second, but what do you make of uh, Heeshuk Leah for Adker's, or Thornishah for Adker's suggestions. You're worse than We're we all doing that. <laughs> <the> that <laughs> that it, it should be a case whereby the people do not travel over the border. If we're not supposed yeah. to be travelling outside of counties, we're not why supposed should to, people yeah. be travelling uh, over uh, the border? Well, I,
4: I think, first of all, it, it, it reflects a misunderstanding of the border region. For many, many cases, you know, the border doesn't exist. People's land crosses the border. People work both sides of the border. People move over and back across the border all the time for education, family reasons, all sorts of things. But as in anywhere else, people should not be making unnecessary journeys. People should not be making unnecessary contact with other people. Anywhere, whether they're in Kerry or Derry, and that's the reality, and that's what we need to try and get home. But to say that the border is an issue here, it isn't really. The issue here is personal responsibility to own up, that we all have to be more careful about this virus.
1: Well, you mentioned Derry, that's where we're going now, to GP Dr Nicola Heron. Nicola, you're ramping up restrictions in the north from tomorrow again. How concerned are you about the risk of cross-border infection?
0: I think um, cross-border is only an issue because of the difference in the restrictions in the two jurisdictions. If we had a joined-up approach in, in the whole island, then... The border, as your previous speaker was saying, would be an irrelevance. And, and as he was also saying, people here don't see the border. We work across the border. We live, you know, families live on two sides of the border. So we travel across the border all the time. The, the, the difficulty is this virus loves close human contact. So it doesn't matter where you're having that contact. The most important thing is that you keep your distance from the other people, you minimize the time that you have that close contact and you keep good ventilation. Outdoors is the best. This time of year, that's very difficult. So if you're in an enclosed space, you need to keep keeping windows open and maybe make sure people are going outside and getting some fresh air. I think one of the things that we have to realize is even though we feel we're in a strict lockdown, the biggest, biggest difference between now and back in March and April is that there's two things. One, we were starting from a very, very low level of infection at the start of this pandemic. We are not. We're at a high level of infection really now. Um, the second thing is that the schools are now open, and that is seen as a priority is to try and keep schools open as much as we possibly can. And when we are doing that, it means that other restrictions are not going to be as effective as they were the first time around.
1: You also have a situation that you have 442 new cases today, much higher than we have here in the Republic. You opened your retail outlets and hairdressers last week and you're shutting them down again tomorrow. So what's going wrong with your approach up there?
0: Well, as you're probably very, very aware, the the executive here struggles to have a completely uniform approach to anything, let alone the pandemic. They have tried hard. Um, and I think there's a certain section within the executive is very, very, I suppose they are led very much by the demands of businesses, and they're very keen to get businesses open, and that, I suppose, drove them to basically go against all the other parties and the health advice, which was saying our level was far too high to open up a week ago. It was... they. Uh, I suppose the compromise they made was, look, we've already told these cafes and restaurants they can open up for a week. We'll let them go ahead and do that and then close them again in a week's time. It, it you know... From a health perspective, it made absolutely no sense.
1: Nicola, um, you also work in a COVID assessment ward. What's the situation in the hospitals? Because we've been hearing that your capacity issues up north are way worse than they are in the Republic.
0: Our hospital... there's two. I suppose there's two major problems in the hospital. One is that the respiratory ward, the, the high dependency unit and the intensive care unit is full. When somebody is sick enough to need to be in intensive care, they end up in there for at least a month. So once the intensive care unit is full, it tends to stay that way for four or five weeks before you have any hope of somebody recovering enough to actually move back down into the lower intensity care that they are providing in the wards. The wards have stepped up their care. One of the biggest problems we're having at this point of the pandemic is that the rest of the more routine um, treatments in the hospital have basically had to be put on hold every time there's a surge in the numbers routine operations, routine investigations all have to go right back down to an absolute minimum level. We're trying our best to keep up services for patients with cancer or potential cancer and the hospital are doing very very well in that respect but for anything else that's a little bit more routine those per patients are are, I've been waiting now for months and months on waiting lists that were already too long before this pandemic and that's going to be one of our biggest challenges post-pandemic is going to be to try and undo those huge waiting lists that have developed during this time. Obviously, at the minute, the priority is patients who are ill with COVID, which is why it is absolutely vital that we get these numbers down. Okay. Because w- not one final patients thing, Nicola.
1: Sorry, one final thing to you. Given that you say that there are two different approaches on each side of the border, what do you make of what we've decided to do down here, apparently, in that we will let households be open to families and other friends over Christmas, at the same time as leaving our restaurants and gastropubs open as well? What do you think of that decision?
0: I I know that for a government, what they're trying to do is balance the risks and the benefits. What is very, very clear is when you open things up, the numbers of the virus increase. And I I would be concerned that we are nearly, we are deliberately doing something that is going to fill hospital beds with very ill patients. This is a nasty virus. This is, it's also an illness that is a very lonely illness because when somebody's in hospital with COVID, they can't have any visitors. Their families are isolated from them. It's a very, very difficult illness to be in hospital with compared to what people's experience being in hospital. So I think when you open up society, the numbers increase. People have to be really, really careful. We have probably not learned enough about adapting our behaviour when we are allowed to go back out and be in restaurants and be in pubs and be out and about. We need to work much harder okay. and keeping
1: our distance, keeping the circulation good. Thank you very much, Dr Nicola Heron. What about that point, Neil Richmond, about the different approaches both sides of the border? Because we had one ridiculous situation today where a tour operator in Derry was going to send a bus down to the Dundrum shopping centre to do a bit of shopping because shopping wouldn't be available north of the border.
3: Yeah, it was an absolutely fantastical suggestion that lasted a whole two hours and it was certainly something that put absolute panic and obviously Dundrum is in my constituency people are going we're not going to the shopping centre if you have 25 people coming down in a bus it's completely ludicrous it goes against all the advice and it goes against all the regulations thankfully the tour has been cancelled and the post has been taken down but it just showed that there is unfortunately some people out there who still don't get the seriousness the guidelines are very clear you should not be crossing a county at level five or level three unless it's for essential business. And
1: is family visits going to be regarded then as essential in that two-week period around Christmas? Is that the plan? Well,
3: that's the hope. Let's be fair. That's the hope when we get into the Christmas period. And it has to be realistic that we can allow that, that That we're in a position. Again, I don't know what's going to be announced tomorrow regardless what the independent are reporting, but there has been a discussion that there'll be announcements for tomorrow and then clarifications for the exact Christmas period, which I think is And
1: what fair. about people flying into the country, be it Dublin, Cork? Shannon or knock?
3: Well, the travel guidance is quite clear. Ireland, thankfully, is an, an amber destination, but there's very few other amber destinations. If you're coming in from another jurisdiction that's classed as red, therefore outside the EU, um, then you do have to quarantine for 14 days.
1: I want to ask you briefly about the other big yes. debate today that there was in the Dáil about Seamus Wolfe's appointment as the Supreme Court Justice. This, of course, has all come about because of the fact that he won't step down as a result of the eructus Golf scandal, which does raise the question is that Why is it suddenly an issue about his appointment so, if it wasn't an issue at the time?
4: Well, the issue about his appointment has, I suppose, been illuminated by what happened uh, in regard to his, his attendance at the golf dinner in Clifton and all of that. But there is a real issue about his appointment when we see what happened today, particularly when we see the Minister, Helen McEntee, saying that the only place she sought advice and got advice was from Leo Varadkar, the Fine leader, who said that he would make a good judge. And then she went on... Is he
1: not entitled to... to say that, to offer think, that Well, opinion. I mean, if,
4: if, if he is the leader of the party, he is the former Taoiseach, he is the that he is the person who is probably going to appoint... Uh, if she hadn't already appointed Helen McEntee as being the Minister for Justice, that remark would be termed more as an instruction than a, by the, than a, than a comment. You know, let's make him the judge. And that's clearly what happened. This was a Finnegale appointment that the Taoiseach wasn't even informed about. And, you know, at the end of the day, what we see here is uh, a situation where there was a hand in love type arrangement put in place for somebody who was moving out of the Attorney Generals for to make space for a Fianna Fáil person to come in and they were given a plumb position in the Supreme
1: Court. How can anybody plausibly deny that?
3: Well, I don't think Paul Gallagher would accept he's a Fianna Fáil person. I think that's the sort of looseness of language that we're going into here. And all of a sudden, a conversation and a remark has been classified as an instruction. Fine Gael don't do instructions, other parties might, but we don't. And we have a situation... An of, a wink.
1: If you have a young no, minister no, this who thing, has just been in the job three weeks, who's told by her party leader that he'd make a good judge, would that not be interpreted as... A point and give him the gig.
3: No, and I think questioning the age of the minister, who's been one of the most competent ministers in government, both in this department and particularly uh, as Minister for European uh, Affairs, Neil, is that's unfair. At this, no, that's what Matt said, Matt. I'm not. No, no sorry, I think, no, I, I think
1: you're. misinterpreting what yeah, I think the yeah, point he's he's is. a new minister made a decision a on her, her own, own back. And I
3: think there's been a lot of slurs, and the debate today was actually quite unseemly. Now, not by you, Martin, in fairness, your comments roll board, but there was a number of deputies who went way beyond the purview of what we should have been debating today. And I think it was an c- absolute political stunt, and it's been exposed as such. But at the matter it was. It is a political appointment. A political appointment was made by to the put The grandstanding that certain deputies engaging today, as I said, not yourself, Martin. Look, but there was some absolute grandstanding, and you heard the Kangaroo having to intervene repeatedly. Very this little. Was very little. Repeatedly, Ken, I think he didn't have repeatedly. to intervene twice.
4: No, actually, was and most days a he dozen intervenes times. a dozen times on most debates. He intervened, I think, twice. The reality is, he pulled a fast one. You no, put I him in there a and Felix Fall well. gave you the buy ball because their appointee was coming into the Attorney General's office and that's another issue that needs to be done. And in fact, right. I'm going to bring forward legislation that no Attorney General can go into the High any of the courts until they have a two-year break. They need to be at least two years out of that job before they can be appointed. That would be at least some advancement to ensure that we don't have this nod and wink sort of situation that when our guy is finished so we'll put him onto the courts. That is not fair. Is not appropriate. There were, we now know today as well the other thing we learned was that there were not Four people in for this job. There are actually six. Oh, yeah, so there were five sitting judges who had long standing. There were five sitting judges who had experience. And, indeed, people and the who attorney, former there. attorney so general had no experience here, was
1: appointed over the head of them. Okay, we have to leave it there. We need to take a break. Thank you to Sinn Fein's Martin Kenny. Neil Richmond is staying with us because after the break, has a lack of clarity from government left many sectors in limbo and with no option but to keep their doors closed this Christmas. Welcome back. Well, Finnegale's Neil Richmond is still with us and we're joined by Gene McCabe, Deputy Chair of Retail Excellence and owner of Willow.ie. And also via Skype by Gaz Smith, owner and head chef of Michael's Restaurant and Little Mike's in Mount Merion in Dublin. So Gaz, is it good news for you tonight, the reports that are coming up that the government has decided, despite the advice of Enfet, to allow gastro pubs and restaurants to open in December?
6: It's great news for the trade, for sure. Um, I'm sure that many people feel a great sense of relief, so that's fantastic. We ourselves have already taken the decision not to open for indoor dining um, for December. Um, We were keen to open. The team were keen. The customers were keen. We could have opened very safely and securely and calmly with real structure. Um, But due to the lack of government transparency, even right now, we still don't know the full situation on what is basically Friday, expecting to open on Tuesday. After three or four times have gone through the angst of the mismanaged communications, no lessons were learned on how hospitality works. It cannot be turned on and off at the flip for a switch.
1: Why not? Um, Explain to us what the issues are that wouldn't allow you to open up that quickly.
6: There is a whole... Um, the supply chains, getting staff back, um, the growers must grow for us, you know? It can't be done properly without the without the correct notice, um, and we just couldn't place faith in getting the information on the new guidelines from the state in a respectful fashion. And for us personally, during lockdown, we had uh, changed up things so that we had a few eggs and a few baskets in the lead up to, up to Christmas, um, so that we weren't we weren't trying to grab at one um, dangling carrot. Um, we decided to focus on the current operations of clicking collecting, in the farmers' market and the street food. The decision was gutting. Um, sharing Christmas was was the light at the end of our tunnel with our our valued guests, our regulars, our locals, um, our supporters. Uh, but we simply couldn't try to plan or commit to open with the guidelines that we still don't know. And we we could still be we we could be we could be reopening on Tuesday. We still don't know. We've just been told that we. We will be opening at some stage, but we've been we've we've been hearing it now for the last three or four weeks. Uh, so we discussed with our team, and it was a case that we had to sacrifice our own Christmas and focus on survival, focus on job security, um, and continue to click and connect in the farmer's market um, rather than going through the back break and monumentous um, procedure of changing all, all things back for okay. a period that we don't know. Um, so whilst, whilst each restaurant has its own formula, every bar has its own formula, I'm um, I'm I'm pleased that my peers will get uh, will get to trade for Christmas for okay. someone. I just urge, urge, urge the state to give clear guidelines as soon as possible. Don't let the don't let this this drag through the weekend. Give. Give the, give the trade clear guidelines. Ask them, what can we do? Well, we'll ask our
1: Finnegall representative about that now. Gaz, thank you very much for joining us here on the Tonight Show. So what about that, Neil? That it isn't possible to just decide, open up again next Tuesday. That businesses need for getting supplies of food, for getting their staff organised. They need more instructions to what's happening.
3: Well, the government said quite clearly that we're entering into this period. And today or tomorrow, Friday, the announcement we be made looking towards Tuesday next week that was always the case that there would be an announcement on Friday we weren't going to make an announcement Sorry, there was
1: supposed to be a four week review last week
3: a four week review but we're going into the period that this was always the date where announcement made you can't simply say that we plan to reopen in three weeks time and announce the reopening and then all of a sudden things change you know we had to concede the ENFIT had to fade into a government government had to see all the all the various statistics that we discussed about and we'll hopefully be in a situation there'll be a clear announcement with guidelines tomorrow and many restaurants and pubs will be able to open. I pay credit to Gaz for the work he's done in Michael's in terms of diversity perhaps this won't work for him but it might work for many others.
1: Okay Gene what's the position of retail excellence to what is being proposed in relation to the likes of the pubs and gastro restaurants and pubs?
7: Well, it's definitely most welcome to hear the news that that they're going to be opening at whatever date that will be. We'll have to wait and see. But we had been lobbying government to open the cafes and restaurants as part of our um, remit because we believe the customer experience of going to your local town, doing your shopping, that that elderly customer needs the respite to be able to grab a cup of coffee and to be able to take time out. Um, So it's a relief to see that that's going to happen because that'll just enhance the whole customer experience for people out and about shopping in their localities. Is
1: that not likely to be more dangerous, though, to the spread of the illness? What you're describing there, if people go to shops and then go to a restaurant or go to a cafe and then go back to another shop, that that could be a sort of a super spreader event.
7: Well, the average dwell time in a cafe is only about 20 minutes. So you're mitigating the risk when it is that quick stop and respite. But the the industry has proven before. Retail, for example, has proven to be really safe, less than 1%. Of cases have traced back to retail as an industry we've done everything that we've been asked to do and we've provided a very safe environment and i'm 100 confident that the retail industry will be able to ensure that a safe environment continues through the christmas period and we are well capable and well positioned to, to maintain that
1: okay will you need longer opening hours and whatever as well to make sure that you can have safe numbers in stores to cater for what may be a pent-up demand
7: yes and we do expect a pent-up demand we expect customers to be very mindful of where they're shopping, that they're shopping local, that they're shopping Irish, and they're thinking twice about every euro that they spend, that it does have an impact, especially on a small business, even just like myself. Um, And I will see, you will see that a lot of retailers will open on later hours to accommodate customers.
1: Is there really a big pent-up demand? Because have you not been able to get a good good shake with the uh, online offerings that you've had, that you've developed in recent times?
7: Online is, is for a lot of small businesses across the country that have an online offering, that are now a multi-channel retailer, they have a bricks and mortar store and an online. Online is probably unfulfilling, if they're a new startup, it's probably fulfilling 10% of their general turnover. For an established business, online is probably generating six, 40% of their general turnover, so they're still down 60%. So online is very much so a complement to those businesses and helping keep their doors open, but the majority of retail is still done in stores. It's still, still done in bricks and mortar, and I think they're really important Important point to point or to highlight here is that online, 70% of our online sales are going outside of Ireland at well, the indeed, moment.
1: But indeed, something like Black Friday tomorrow, is that something that you regard as an opportunity or is that just going to be a lot of money leaving the country?
7: Historically, Black Friday is worth over a billion euro and a lot of it is spent abroad. But I think the campaigning and the messaging around shopping local and shopping Irish is starting to resonate with customers. I see it myself day in, day out. People are definitely more mindful of where they're spending their money. And I think it's the investment that they're making in their local communities to ensure those stores stay open, especially as you come into January. Um, and I think this Christmas more than ever, their presence um, needs to be felt in their in their local environments. Yeah, How
1: much is this feeding into the government's thinking, Neil, this realisation that Irish retail businesses perhaps they're not doing as well online as they could or should be, and that they're going to have to be given the opportunity to do physical face-to-face sales.
3: Yeah I think a lot of it it's it's not just about going in seeing a product and buying it you do need to consult with experts who are working in the store who know the product who might know your size and, and things like that and certainly one of the big things we've been stressing all week I think was my colleague Emer Curry came up with it is let's think, forget Black Friday let's think about Green Friday tomorrow let's see what local businesses are online or if you can make the booking to collect it next week when things get back open really invest in your community really invest in your economy and I've no doubt lots of people will
1: Are a lot of Dublin shops so worried that they won't get the traditional Uh, movement of people from rural Ireland uh, into Dublin to actually do their Christmas shopping this year because of the travel restrictions?
3: Yeah, that's certainly a concern, particularly for the city centre. So it's not just people coming in from rural Ireland, but coming in from the suburbs into the city centre, people who are working from home, staying at home. And it is a concern, and it's making sure that those businesses continue to have the full access to the supports that the governments have given to businesses and also at local authorities. And also, again, promoting the tools that there are vouchers there for online trading and making sure that people have those opportunities.
1: What about the situation in rural Ireland shops? You're in Ennis in County Clare with your shop Willow. How have you been able to, have you been able to capitalise and people not been able to leave County Clare?
7: We're very lucky in Ennis because we have a really unique retail offering. We're now as the boutique capital of Ireland. So generally we were a destination town. Um, but I think for the first time ever, rural Ireland and small villages and towns are going to benefit from the, the fact that people have to stay local. And I think there's an opportunity for customers to rediscover what's on their doorstep and I think if there's a positive going to come out of COVID at all, I think it's seeing all the small SMEs that have now got online and now have that element to their business that they didn't have before. So what we've done in the last five months with SMEs moving online, we wouldn't have achieved in five years. And if there's a plus going to come out of that is, online will actually drive footfall back into town centres when you consider the element of click and collect. So I can use my own business as an example. 50% of our orders are local to us. And of those 50%, half will come in click and collect. So 25% of everything that we sell online People walk through the door, and that's people walking back into a town centre, walking back in town to get their hair done and popping into Willow to collect their collect order. So it's actually a, a really complimentary piece to bricks and mortar retail.
1: Neil, just wonder going back a little to what we said earlier, but we are four weeks from Christmas. If in two weeks' time the numbers are climbing again beyond what we have, I mean, do you think would the government be brave enough to say, all bets are off, we're going to have to shut down restaurants and gastro pubs again, curtail retail because the numbers tell us we have to?
3: Well, it would require an exponential growth. And again, it can't just be about case numbers alone. It has to be about hospitalizations, It has to be about people in ICU. And again, if you look at the rates that Ireland has, we have the lowest figures in Europe. And I think we need to bear that in mind. We need to give... This isn't just an economic decision. It's a social decision as well. We need to give that people that chance after six tough weeks.
1: And a final point to you, There are people who worry that if we do open up for December, we'll pay for it with a third lockdown in January or February. Could you and other businesses survive that?
7: Look, it's a, it's a balance at the moment between lives and livelihoods. I think any retailer, I can certainly speak for myself, that, you know, you look for the opportunity that's facing in front of us of Christmas and you just hope that you have a good Christmas as you would have previous years and whatever happens in, gen- in January, we'll have to face it then.
1: Thank you very much for that. Thanks to both Neil and Jean for being with us. Now, after the break, have you ever been duped by an online scam? We'll be hearing just how sophisticated fraudsters have become so that you can shop safely this Black Friday. Welcome back. We're joined now by Detective Chief Superintendent Pat Lorden, head of the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau. Pat, we've just been talking about Black Friday or Green Friday as people are going to call it, but how significant and real is the chance that people could be scammed online if they're not careful?
5: Uh, The chances of being scammed online are quite high every day of the year, but more so coming up to now, to Black Friday and into the Christmas period, because people are just not taking enough care and what they're buying online, and where they're buying it online.
1: In what ways, can you give me examples?
5: Well, looking at some reports that have come out recently, a lot of people go into websites through links they've got on social media. You need to stop doing that and go in through a search engine. Go in the proper way into the websites. That avoids the risk of being in a cloned website a lot of the time. I think about 60% of ladies in particular go straight in through a link they've got from social media and that's not the best way to go into a a, a website. You run a really high risk of being a cloned website or a fraudulent website.
1: And then what about when people are looking for deposits and stuff put down and looking for bank details or credit card details?
5: Yes, uh, a lot of people are of the view that I'm only paying a deposit of 200 or 500 euros and I'll, I'll surely get the product because I'm not paying for the full amount. But actually the criminal is quite happy with your deposit. As I said to you a few minutes ago, In the last four days, we've seen people pay a €4,000 deposit for a generator, €2,000 deposit for a tractor, uh, €200 for a jacket, €800 for a phone. They won't ever pay the balance because they'll never get their product.
1: And are people perhaps a little bit careless as well about giving up bank details or even giving credit card details and full security numbers over the phone?
5: Yes, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks in particular is you get a phone call from somebody purporting to be from your bank or from revenue or a delivery company and they ask you for their bank details over the phone. Uh, we're at, at going at linked a lot of the time through media like yourselves, through the Garda press office trying to say to people, please don't give your personal details to anybody. Your bank, revenue, the Garda, any of the delivery companies will never ring you for your own bank details
1: and can it often be the case that they actually pretend to be the bank or the revenue commissioners?
5: Yes, absolutely. I, I looked at a case today just before I came out here uh, and it was claiming to be that you were due money from revenue and they were asking you for your bank details and they were provided. Another lady was asked uh, to look at her account because she was due some money to a delivery company. And you know, oftentimes you'll get a, a message from a delivery company saying that you owe two euros and you said, this can't be too bad, it's only two euros, I'll open up my bank account. The problem is when you open the link and you get into your bank account, the criminal is actually now in your bank account and you can literally, as some lady said to me about six months ago, you can see the money literally going out of your account.
1: Who's the most vulnerable to this? I mean, there might be the perception it's older people, but is that necessarily the case?
5: No, actually, a study I saw that was carried out by the Banking Payments Federation uh, last week showed that 18 to 25-year-olds are very vulnerable to clicking on links and going through social media. So,
1: and are they naive perhaps as well?
5: About yes, uh, I suppose we, you know we all have we all have kids of some age, um, and they're very quick to click and and buy online. But oftentimes they're not looking at what they're doing, and they're going in through the links.
1: If somebody gets robbed in the street, they report it to the guardie. But if people lose money in some fraud like this, are they sometimes reluctant to sort of admit to having been conned? Or do they know where to go to?
5: Very reluctant in a lot of cases. Um, we, we had what we call business email compromise. In the beginning, say four or five years ago, nobody was reporting it because they were ashamed of losing substantial money in their business. Uh, with a lot of work, we now have most people reporting that type of fraud. But regrettably, with online shopping, people are a bit slow to report it. I mean, last year, the banks said they lost £22 to credit card and debit card fraud. And very little of that was reported to Gardaí Sheikana.
1: And can the retailers be as vulnerable as the actual consumers?
5: Yes, the retailers need to be aware of what they're doing as well and and be careful of what people are ordering online. Uh, Are they ordering four cameras? Why would anybody need four cameras? Uh, You know, you need to know what they're doing. Okay,
1: we'll be back to you in a minute, because we're joined now by journalist Valerie Cox. Valerie, you've had your own experience of online scams. What were they?
8: Well, the first thing that happened was I bought something, not realising they were picnic chairs. I didn't realise I was buying them from China. They never turned up. But luckily, I'd actually done the transaction using my PayPal account. So they took it up and they got the money back. Now, there was another interesting episode where I bought a gadget for taking out earwax of all things, and it, it, it turned up. But it was unusable. And the deal there was I was supposed to post it back to America, which was going to cost me about 25 euro. So you know, when something like that happens, obviously you're not going to send it back. And I think there's a lot of this, a very good friend of mine bought a dog collar for a tiny little Maltese or Poodle cross, a beautiful, one of these very fancy ones, you know. And it was so big that the collar is now adorning the neck of a lurcher. So there's a lot of problems. Now, having said that, Matt, when lockdown came in, I started buying quite a lot of things online. And one of the things I tried to do was to support companies who'd gone online to try and keep the jobs there. And, I mean, it was amazing what you could find. I bought fudge, I bought boxes of fruit, sourdough, fish, goat's cheese, all manner of things. And even at the moment now, I've, I've just bought... Um, there's a distillery opened in the wilds of Leitrim in Drumsham- Shambo during lockdown and then they had to close immediately and they've 50 jobs going. So now they're doing hampers of their products and sending them all over the country. Also, people are launching books online and I've been trying to buy them if I see them because I think it's very important that we do support people who've gone into this new medium to try and keep jobs open.
1: Does that suggest, so? you're going to be enthusiastically searching for bargains tomorrow on Black Friday?
8: I am, yes. But I'm going to be very organised about it, Matt, because you can't just go in indiscriminately and say, oh, great deal here, you must do your research. And I've been doing mine. I mean, for example, uh, my vacuum cleaner died a few days ago. So I've been checking the prices of vacuum cleaners and I'm going to have another look tomorrow. Now, I think it's very important we do buy local. And I have realised that most of my local shops, you can buy from them online or they've got notices up saying, ring us and we'll source something out and we'll send it to you. So I think the first important thing to do, excuse me, is to buy online locally if you can, and then to buy nationally. Because when we come out of this, we want to come out of this without every uh, company in the country closed. We want to come out in a viable place where people still have jobs, where our small shops are still open. And that's why the local element is so important.
1: Here, here. Now, just to finish, Valerie, the last time you were with us, I think you were talking about cocooning during this pandemic. What are you looking forward yeah. to now in Christmas, particularly with the suggestion that you might be able to see up to three other families in your home at Christmas?
8: Well, Matt, really it's a mess. Um, the regulations we're going to know tomorrow when the fee makes his speech tomorrow, but really what's coming out is quite ridiculous. And particularly Um, the way we're treating older people. I mean, one of the suggestions is that people living in nursing homes should be allowed one visit per week. What are we thinking of? Also, this idea of bring your own plates for Christmas dinner, put granddad sitting by the open window. And the one sector we have not asked about any of this are our older people. Nobody's turned around and said, What do you want to do? They might not want to go to a relative's for Christmas, they may not want to bring their plate, and they may not want to sit by an open window. I mean, this is the generation who have looked after this country since independence, who have brought us arts and politics and everything else, who have reared the generation. And we're turning around and saying, Well, you can't actually be trusted to give an opinion or to make choices. And these are the very people who've been through all this and who can make choices and we don't trust them.
1: Okay. Valerie Cox, we're out of time, unfortunately. There's lots more I could ask you about that, but we are out of time. Thank you very much for joining us on The Tonight Show. And very briefly, we were watching that. Do your research and don't do things quickly on the net, you believe.
5: Absolutely, check it out, talk to somebody. You know, use one of your search engines to try and do the background on what you're buying.
1: Thank you very much, Detective Chief Superintendent Pat Lorden. That is all we have time for tonight. I'll be back on radio tomorrow afternoon and we'll be back here next Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. Thanks very much for watching. Stay safe and have a good night.
0: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.